Mark chapter 8. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 8. Mark 8 is right in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. We have gotten to what you might call the very top of a mountain, and we're going to go down the other side, going to get to the cross of Jesus as we go through the Gospel of Mark. We found here at in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34, some of the most profound teaching you'll hear from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray that you would make your word come alive. We pray in the name of Jesus. It's the only way we can come to you is through Jesus. The only way we know how to pray is through the Spirit. And so we pray under the Lordship of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to you, our triune God. And I ask you to help us. Pray that you would open eyes, give us ears to hear, hearts to believe what your word says. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe may be seated. <clears throat> when the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning and the person on the other end of that line identifies himself as someone with authority, you know that the news that you are about to receive is going to change your life Forever. And as you listen to this person with authority, as you listen to the news that you are being given, that news you're hearing goes down into the depth of your soul. And it alters, it, it, it changes your existence. Well, the passage that I've just read to you from Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38, the passage that I just read to you is the 2 a.m. phone call. And if this information is rightly understood, it will reach into your soul and change the course of your life forever. Let's get some context. How do we get here? The context. We're doing a little Bible study. Here we are in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 38. How did we get here? We've just come off what would be known as the peak 
of the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 8, there you have Jesus who is talking to his disciples, asking who do people say that I am. Peter gives the great confession. That's the very top. Jesus asked them and Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. Jesus has cast out demons. Jesus has performed miracles. Jesus has healed people. Jesus has given sight to the blind all the way through the Gospel of Mark. And Mark is showing us this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, having established that authority, based on that authority, Jesus gives a short sermon. Verse 34, 35, 36, 37, 38. A short sermon that is in the Gospel of Matthew, it's in the Gospel of Mark, it's in the Gospel of Luke. A short sermon that is not just for the 12 men that have been following him, but verse 34 says it is for all of the people that are there. You see it in verse 34? The whole crowd. Everybody that has been sort of following along, they know something about Jesus, they know he has performed miracles, now he turns to all of them. Honestly, this is unlike anything that Jesus ever said, at least up to this point. This right here separates those that are disciples from those that are not disciples. This right here separates those who are sheep, his, and those who are goats, who are not. This passage right here separates those who will one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant, from those who will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. This is not for the faint of heart. But these words are the words of life for everyone who will believe. Because the truth of the, truth of the matter is that everyone who claims to be a Christian is not one. Everyone who claims to be a Christian. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God. You can do that where you are, just as you're sitting there. Ask God to give you ears to hear. Ask him to examine, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And let's read what the Bible says. Let's go to the words of Jesus that he gives, and he gives us four ways Christians will live. How do you know you're a Christian? There are four ways Christian will live. Let's go to the first one. Number one, every Christian lives an abandoned, abandoned life. If you're a Christian, that's how you live. Let me show you where I get that. It's in verse 34. Let me read it. And as I read it, you'll see the three divisions. Verse 34. You'll see, you probably already saw it for yourself. Verse 34. Let me read it to you. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, here are the three divisions, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and come follow me. Let's make that the three divisions of the point. Here's the first one, to deny self. What does it mean to deny self? What does it mean to look at your old self and say, no? To deny self, a, a decisive choice. To deny self is a definitive action. To deny, to, the word means to abandon, to reject. To, when you deny something, you have nothing to do with it. You repudiate that. Look at it and say, get, get out of my life. 
Jesus used this word when he talked about what Peter did. Jesus used this word to say that when Peter denied him. Remember when Jesus was on trial and Peter denied him three times? And Peter said, I have nothing to do with him. To deny means to create a chasm. It means to, to give up reliance on whatever it is that you've been relying on to get you through to deny that for Christ. To deny your old nature. Even if you say, look, I was born like this. When, you, when, when Christ grips you, you deny. That's not me anymore. To deny means to disown it completely, to, to shift the center of gravity in your life from a concern about yourself to a reckless abandon for God. When you deny something, the idea is to, to go on the hunt for it and to kill it. I, uh, in the evenings, Connie and I will get together uh, after supper, we'll go into the playroom, which is not really a playroom anymore. I guess it's a rec room, not much of a rec. I don't know, it's an extra room. Anyway, one of the rooms in our house. <laughs> There's the couch, and there is uh, the chair that I like to sit in. Every man should have a chair. Mine happens to recline. It has a lever on the side, and I pull it into third gear, and my feet go up. <laughs> We're watching TV, and look over to my right, over probably five or six feet away from me, and there is... Although it looked like a tarantula, I know that we don't have tarantulas. We live in the jungle. But a, I guess it was a giant wolf spider, and I could see it there. I immediately pull the lever, jump up, and go over there, and with such velocity, <laughs> like I'm stomping an aluminum can, stomp that spider, kill it. You understand what I'm talking about? Deny. There's a fly in your house, and you've got a fly swatter. You go after it like you're swatting down blackbirds as hard as I can hit it to deny. The, the force of this word, and, and there is this emphatic, there is this Jesus saying, if you're going to follow me, what it means is I, you just don't add me to your life. It is a turning away. It's saying, I want that no longer. It's denying self-reliance and pride and greed and lust and complacency. Laziness, addiction, struggle with anger, denying it, deny being comfortable, denying middle class life, you just want to achieve that, denying it. Look, most of all the sins that we actually commit against other people find their root in selfishness. This is what happens to marriages. Look, marriages fall apart because somebody was selfish, or both were. To deny self. To deny self means I, I value that more than this. If you're selfish, you say, I want this, me. I value this more than I do that. If you deny, you say, I reject that. I want, I want Christ. To deny means to, it's not just sin. We deny your own self-righteousness. Deny thinking that you've been a pretty good person. You, surely God will accept you like you are. You're not perfect, but you're pretty good. And you realize that your own righteousness is like filthy rags before God. And you need the righteousness of Christ. It is a denial of self. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's more than just you thinking nice things about God. It's denial. It's, it's, it's an absolute 
abandoning to the grace of God, realizing that you can't do anything to be received by God. God has done it all for you in Christ. It is a denial of self. It is use saying the old song, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. Not self, but Christ. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Deny self. What else does he say in verse 34? It's not just a self-denial. He says, let him take up his cross. What does that mean? Take up his cross. In the Gospel of Mark, here's the very first time you actually see <coughs> the very first time you actually see the word cross. You won't see it again until Mark chapter 15, when Jesus is nailed on the cross in our place where we get our redemption, our forgiveness because of the cross. But here it is for the very first time. Why would Jesus say this? What did he mean? You must take up your cross and follow. Every person that, hear, or that heard this from Jesus for the very first time, every single one of them knew exactly what he meant. Those that would read this, Mark was written to a church in Rome. Those that would read this knew exactly what he meant. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians. It was perfected by the Romans. It was a, a means of executing criminals, but they didn't only want to execute criminals. They wanted to make an example of humiliation. This is what happens to you if you defy us. That's what the Romans did. So to be crucified, you would carry the cross beam that you would be nailed to, to a stake that is in the ground, and you would be nailed to that. I mean, we see that in the story of Jesus. He couldn't carry, and Simon of Cyrene carried his cross. So, so the idea is there. They would know that, that a condemned man has a cross beam on his back. And here's what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, then it's you denying self, and you take up the cross. They knew exactly what he meant. To be someone that is on the road to Golgotha, this, this is not a colloquialism. This is not, uh, sometimes you'll use the phrase, uh, it's just my cross to bear. This is not you holding up well under some sort of adverse condition. You've got arthritis, it's your cross to bear. Bad heart, your cross to bear. You've got a mean wife, she's just my cross to bear. That's not what this means. Sometimes we use it like that. I think the Almond Brothers messed us up. You hippies would know the Almond Brothers. They sang, my cross will bear. That's not, that's not. That's not what this is saying. To, to say that you take up the cross, this is, this is you saying it is nothing more than a simple submission to the sovereign lordship of Jesus. Rather than your own self-determination. You see, you've denied self and you take up the cross. When you think of Christianity, the heart of Christianity is the cross. If the heart of Christianity is the cross, then certainly an essential part of discipleship is you taking up the cross. What is this? This is... This is self-sacrifice even to the point of giving of your life. This right here separates the disciples, those that are disciples, from those that are admirers. This is you having a willingness to renounce everything for Christ. Our path is the path to the cross, you see. 
It, it, it is a willingness to pay any price for the glorious gift that he gives you. It is a, look, I'm praying God gives you ears to hear. It is a staggering statement that Jesus makes. Deny yourself, take up the cross. But if you are a Christian, you've done that. You, you know it. You felt that willingness to, to give over to Christ. If not, would you hear and would you, would you think with me? Do you want, will you deny yourself and take up the cross? Notice what else in verse 34. Uh, there are three things. If anyone would come after me or would follow me, he must deny himself. You see in verse 34, he must take up the cross or his cross, and he must follow me. Follow me. What does it mean for you to be a Christ follower? What happens if you are a Christ follower? A couple of things. You could probably write eight or ten of these. I'll just give you three. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? Number one, it's you trusting him. You trusting him. I'm asking you to trust him today. What did, what did the Bible say in John three sixteen? For God so loved the world, God so loved you, that he gave his only son, that if you will believe in him, you'll not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to trust him for at least four things. I'm asking you to trust Jesus for redemption. That Jesus died on the cross in your place. God raised him from the dead. And if you will trust him, he will save you, change you. Trust him for redemption. We trust him for providence. What I mean by that is that God... Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together. That what you're walking through is a dark time. That's God working that. Sometimes they're smiling providences. Sometimes they're frowning providence. Sometimes it's a sunny providence. Sometimes it's a cloudy, but it's all providence. And we trust that God has taken you through that. We, we trust him in pain. Look, when it hurts, when it's painful. We trust him then. I'm asking you to trust him, to, to trust him with your eternity. To trust that Jesus died in your place, that God raised him from the dead, that you are saved by grace through God's love for you. Jesus says, if anybody comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. We follow by trusting, we follow by imitating. We follow by imitating. You know what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21? Peter said, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you follow in his footsteps. To be a Christian, that's what we do. Because he has saved us, we follow him in humility. Because he saved us, we, we learn to love other people. We learn to love people that don't love us. What did Jesus say? To love your enemies. We imitate him in his patience. We imitate him in his endurance him enduring such suffering. We learn to do that by looking at his example. Yeah. Jesus says, follow me. We, we trust him and we imitate him and then we also obey him. What does it mean to follow him? Jesus, it means to obey him. John 15 is what Jesus said. John 15 verse 14, Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. Yeah. So the first point that I'm trying to make this morning is that every Christian lives an abandoned life. Anyone want to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow. Do you wish to follow? Abandoned. 
Let me give you a second point. Number two. Not only an abandoned life, but every Christian lives a bewildering life. That's, that's verse 35. That's bewildering. In other words, it doesn't make any sense. People are going to look at your life and say, that doesn't make sense. What is she doing? Well, you got that from Jesus. This is what he says in verse 35. Notice what he says. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Here's the paradox. Whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel, for my sake and the gospel, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Some people have said, I don't think it's true, but some people have said that this, uh, this verse, verse 35, is the most important verse in this passage because it defines the two different selves. I mean, in verse 35, there are two selves there. One self saves his life. One self maximizes this life. One self is you saying, I'm going to maximize all that this world has to offer me. I'm going to do it to the tilt. I'm going to visit every place I can. I'm going to get all of the most valuable things and stack them up. I'm going to have them more than anything in this world. I'm going to find out what this world has to give me. Maybe it's, maybe it's pursuing love or, or happiness or respectability or money or a husband or a wife. I want that. That's what I want. I want that. I'm going after that at all costs. All costs. That's most important to me. And Jesus says in verse 35, Jesus says that person, that person will lose his life. The person will lose his life. It, it's a paradox. You think you're saving it. You think you're accumulating and you're losing it. The other self in verse 35, the other self says, no, 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 no. No, all of those things are attractive and I, I'd like to have those things. They they're all look great. But Jesus and the gospel, verse 35, is what Jesus says, me and the gospel. Jesus and the gospel. Look, I'll, I'll let go. It, that's most precious to me. Jesus and the gospel. I'll let go of anything. I'll, I'll reject any promotion, any prestige, any pride, any addiction, any habit that I've... I'll, I'll give that up because I want Christ. Verse 35, Jesus says, that person, the one that values Christ above his life, that person will have life. It's interesting to me, maybe I get hung up on stuff, but in verse 35, as you look at it, it's interesting to me what Jesus says at the end of the verse. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. My sake and the gospel. As if Jesus and the gospel are the same. How you have Jesus is the gospel. How we have Christ is the gospel of grace. Grace, not works, grace. In fact, here's a good place to explain it explicitly. This is what I mean. When I say gospel, this is what I mean. That God has created you in his image. You have dignity because you were created in the image of God. But the image of God in all of us has been disfigured by our sin. There's not a person here that would admit, yes, I, I, I'm, a, I'm not perfect, I'm a sinner. 
that sin is not just uh, doing things wrong or bad decisions. The Bible teaches that sin is a crime against God. We understand justice, crime is going to be punished. We want crime punished. We get that from God. That's from the Bible. Our crime is that we have sinned against God, and the punishment that the Bible teaches us is that the wages of sin is death because of our sin. You see, God's so holy, and we're sinners, and we deserve to die. It's what hell is about. But God is not just just, and we understand the gospel is that, yeah, he is holy, he is just, he, he, he does condemn sin, but he doesn't, that's not all he does. The Bible says that it gives us Jesus. The way we understand Jesus, according to what the Bible teaches, is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's important we have both of those. You see, as fully man, he comes into the world like every one of us. He does that because he is the representative he didn't just die on the cross in our place. He lived on earth in our place, keeping every single one of the commandments because we don't. He was in perfect fellowship with God because we're not. He came as a man to live as a human in our place because our lives are wrecks. That's not all he did at the cross where the punishment will be meted out. Why the cross? Because the cross would be the place that the mercy of God and the judgment of God meet. The judgment of God falls on Christ and the mercy of God is given to us. If you believe this, this is how you're saved. It's not you doing something, it's you believing, trusting, turning from your sin and trusting that Jesus died in your place. That God raised him from the dead and he will save you because of what Jesus has done. You understand that Jesus, Jesus can't just be added to your life. What he's saying here is Jesus is your life. This is the great paradox of Christianity, verse 35. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. I got two points so far. Here they are. Every, every Christian lives an abandoned life. That's the first one. Second one, every Christian lives a bewildering life. Verse 35 is a paradox. And here's the third point. Third point, number three. Every Christian lives a content, content life. That's verse 36, 37. Content. What I mean is that, that you're not tempted by everything because Christ has fulfilled you. He has loved you. He has saved you. And Christ is your all. You sense forgiveness and, and affection from God the Father. Verse 36 and 37, R.C. Sproul says that these two verses, these two verses have Jesus giving us a lesson in spiritual economics. Let's take them as a whole. Let me read them to you. Take them as a whole. Verse 36 and 37. Jesus says, <clears throat> For what does, it, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man Give in return for his soul. Circle the word profit. So the word profit, you understand the word profit. You, you work long hours, you get paid a paycheck, you pay all of your bills, you buy groceries, and you've got a little bit left over. That's the profit. You put it away. It's gain. That's what you gain. It's the idea of, of getting ahead. A house or a car, if you're pursuing the American dream, or a husband or a wife, or 
or you want your kids to grow up and happy and that becomes what you pursue, or you want early retirement, or you want to start working out so you look good, maybe you can get a girl then, or you want a boat, whatever it is in your mind, you're thinking that would be gain. That's gain for me. Verse 36, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? You see, if gaining that cost you your soul, then there's no profit. You have ended up sacrificing, sacrificing that which is supremely valuable for that which is worthless by comparison. There is a, there is a, there's an emptiness here. I just finished last week a book called Power Failure. Power Failure is a story of the rise and fall of the company GE became the largest company in the world at the time, a conglomeration, billions of dollars. At its highest point, it was led by a man named Jack Welch. He was at the helm for 20 years. Jack Welch was the most respected businessman. He had more money and more power. He had more women and homes. He was thought to be a great leader. At the end of his retirement, he would look back with bitterness of GE as it went down and finally collapsed. And at the interview, and I read this book, it was an angry old man, bitter about life, cursing like a sailor. And lost his soul. The, the, the point here that Jesus is making is that, that your soul is of supreme value. When I see someone around town, hadn't been here to church in a long time, and run into them at a funeral or something, and I hadn't seen them at church in a long time, and uh, they might say something like, yeah, we, we just, got out of the, just got out of the habit, or the kids are so active, we're so busy, life's so busy. Or we've got a place where we can go on the weekends. Or, or, or laziness, COVID-19 just made everybody lazy all of a sudden. Long COVID is laziness. And I think, do you know the value of your soul? Why would you let anything in this decaying world threaten your soul? You see, Christian life, it's not that we have everything or not that we don't, not ambitious. Christian life is being content in Christ. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. What did Paul say? Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. That secret is I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Look at it, verse 37. Look at the question. It's a rhetorical question that Jesus asked. has an obvious answer. Jesus asked the rhetorical question, what can you give for your soul? And the obvious answer is nothing. There's nothing you can redeem your soul with. You can pile all those things, work hard, you get all your stuff, you get it together, and you realize, oh, I've made a mistake. You go up to the cash register and say, look, I have all my things here I've gained, and what I want to do is trade that for my soul. And the cash register will say, no, it's not enough. 
There's only one thing that will get you your soul. That is Jesus Christ dying on the cross in your place. There. To be content in Jesus. Jesus says every Christian, every Christian lives an abandoned life. Every Christian lives somewhat of a bewildering life. That's verse 35. Every Christian lives a content life. That's verse 36 and 37. I'll give you this one last one. We'll call it a day. Number four. Every Christian lives a courageous, a courageous life. If you're living your life right now as a Christian, you, you feel it's, it's taking some courage for you to do it. It's what verse 38 is about. Verse 38. Verse 38, 38 has the word ashamed or the word shame. Shame is a hard, shame is a hard thing. If, you, if you've ever been humiliated or felt really embarrassed, you understand shame. Shame is a powerful element that it's either caused by a perceived shortcoming or something that was done wrong or something improper or maybe it's just guilt. Shame always involves an audience. It's people being aware that you've done this and the way they look at you with disapproval. With that in mind, read verse 38. Whoever is ashamed of me, and my words, look at the connection, Christ and his words, the Bible, Christ and the Bible. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If you live in this world right now, the world we live in, 2023, if it was an adulterous and sinful generation 2,000 years ago, what is it now? In this adulterous and sinful generation, we live here as a Christian. Even if you're just living with humility, you're not standing on the street shouting at people, you're just living your life as a Christian, you're doing so with the courage of convictions. The world we live in can be in terribly intimidating. Some of you have suffered the ridicule and the shame of actually just being a Christian in this adulterous and sinful generation. And Jesus says, for those, it's going to be a glorious day. But if you looked at, at Christianity, you thought, you know what? I, with the way the world's going, it makes more sense to, to, to affirm those with gender fluidity, to jump on the LGBTQ bandwagon, to use the pronouns to fall right into, to, to dissolve marriage, to have subjective truth, my truth and then your truth. Just, it, it's easier to flow that way. Christ says, it's me and my words. You see, that if you actually believe, you're not carrying a Bible around, hitting people with it, you just believe it's true, what the Bible says about men and women, about salvation, about Christ dying for you. But if you, if you hear that and you think, oh, that's going to put me outside of mainstream society. If you, you hear that and you think, yeah, I, I just don't, that would be embarrassing. The consequences of being ashamed of Christ are cataclysmic. Verse 38, verse 38 is the picture. This is Jesus talking here. 
The picture here is of the, the magnificent and awe-inspiring arrival of the final judgment when the exalted Lord Jesus comes in the glory of his Father, our God, and millions of angels come, it's judgment. And for those who reject him, it's Jesus, I'm embarrassed. He's denied, throws out, according to verse 38. But for all of those who are in Christ, for all of those who have looked to Christ, for all of those who have trusted Christ, for all of those who have yielded to Christ, for all of those who have given their lives to Christ, for all of those who have humbly submitted to the Lordship of Christ, for all of those who belong to Him, it is vindication. Everyone who claims to be a Christian is not one. And I would close with this question. According to this passage, where do you find yourself in that divide this morning? Are you following Christ? Or today would you say, I want, I want to follow Christ? As we close today, would you bow your heads with me? We'll say a word of prayer before we sing another song with your heads bowed just for a moment. Before we sing, I'll ask, are you living an abandoned life? Are you? Have you denied yourself and taken up the, your cross and followed Christ? Would you today? Would you give your life to Christ? Even when, while we sing, when we sing, if you want to come and talk to a, a pastor, we'll be here to pray with you. Or maybe it's better for you after church, our pastor's around, you think, I, I want to talk more about what it means to actually follow Christ. You've heard what Jesus says, and you want to follow him. Would you live your life abandoned to Christ? Are you content in your life? You're content in Christ and content in what he's done for you? Maybe God brought you here and you were aching for more and today you've heard there is more that is in Christ. God has spoken to your heart and we sing, you want to talk to someone, our pastors are down front or our pastors will be in the lobby after church. Father, thank you for your word that is good, for your grace that is real. I pray by your spirit you would draw people to yourself today to love Christ. We thank you for the words of Jesus here that are food for our souls that strengthen us today. We pray that you would find us faithful even to the end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.